We welcome everyone this morning. Sing us with me. Faithful you are over us, the everlasting one. Your love never fails. Reigning now, your glorious, you have overcome. Your love never fails. Your
breaks the bow and bends the spear and tells the wars to cease. Oh, mighty one of Israel, you are on our side. We walk by faith in God who burns the chariots in fire.
just invite him in. Just focus on him. Just give him all of your attention this morning. You are here, moving in this place. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. God, I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. You are Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are here. Touching every heart, I worship you, God, I worship you. You are here, healing every heart, I worship you, I worship you. You are here, turning lives around, turning lives around. Bye. 
light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. When I don't see it, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. ask a couple of questions. He says, am I a God who is only near? This is the Lord's declaration. And not a God who is far away. Can a person hide in secret places where I cannot see him? Do I not feel the heavens and the earth? The Lord's declaration. What a reminder of a God who is near, a God who is around us, and a God who is at work. Even if we can see him working, even if we can feel him working, or if we can't, we can rest assured that God is still at work and he is still doing miracles today. Do you believe that this morning? We have a God that loves us, a God whose presence is right here with us, and a God who wants to speak to our hearts and encourage us today. Let's go to him in prayer. God, we thank you today that we can know whether we see you at work around us, whether we feel it or not. And God, we can trust that you are still moving, you are still working. 
God, there are so many ways that we can see it in our lives, and there are some ways that we may even stop and question and say, God, are you even there? But God, we trust in you. God, we know that you are working, and there are still miracles that are happening in lives, and the greatest miracle of all is when our lives are changed because of what your son Jesus Christ did for us on the cross and the salvation that comes through making him the Lord and Savior of our life. And we are so grateful for that today. God, we thank you that you're in our midst. We thank you that your spirit is here moving and working and changing lives, even right now. And God, I pray that during this time that, God, you would remove any distractions from our hearts, from our minds. God, there would be nothing right now that would hinder us from hearing your word as you speak to us as we open up the scriptures together. God, I pray that you would use this time just to speak to us individually. You know each one of us better than we know ourselves. And God, you know what we need to hear today. And so God, would you use this time and and speak to our hearts. God, we thank you for all that you do. We thank you for what you are doing now. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Amen. It's good to be here this morning. Hopefully you feel the same way. It's always good to be in God's house. Uh, It's always good to be able to come and worship and sing songs like Psalm 46, Lord of Hosts. Did you like that song? I love that song and I love what it conveys to us. I want to read just a, a little bit of that before we get into the text this morning. It says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Verse 10 of that same passage says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Aren't you glad that we can call upon the name of the Lord and he is our fortress in times of difficulty, in times of trouble? You're going to have to do a little bit better than that, church. Let me just be honest with you this morning. I'm operating on about four hours of sleep, so what you see is what you get. So you got to help me out a little bit this morning. And so as David said, 1 Peter chapter 4, we've been in this series uh, for a while. We've just been going through this first letter of Peter and just looking at uh, how he's writing, what he's writing to the early church, to the second generation of believers. Um, And the title of this series has been Living as Outsiders in a Strange Land. Now, if you know anything about Christianity, you know that we are not of this world, but we live in this world, and one day we'll go home and be at home forever with the Lord. And that's, that's good news, right? But while we wait for the return of Lord or our time of meeting him for eternity, we live as outsiders in a strange land. And we say that because we live amongst a group of people who reject God and they reject God's commands and God's guidance. And and so we live as an outsider because the way we live our lives contradicts what we see in the world around us. And, And so we live as outsiders in a strange land. And so Peter's been laying this out. To the second generation Christians in the first century, people who are experiencing some suffering simply because they place their faith in Jesus. Now, as I said all along, I don't think that we in America understand fully the type of suffering and persecution that the first church experienced. Um, And I'll touch a little bit more on that in a moment. But Peter's been laying out what the attitude of the believers should be in the midst of this suffering. And so he begins in 1 Peter talking about this living hope 
that is kept in heaven for the follower of Christ that is beyond the reach of change and decay. It's protected and it's there ready to be revealed to us on the last day. And this living hope cannot be stolen. It can't be taken away. It doesn't rust. It's not corrupted. The good news is we have this living inheritance, this living hope, right, that we look to as followers of Christ. And it should give us a little bit of joy in our lives, regardless of what's going on around us. Amen? I mean, this living hope to know that when this life is over, there's this living hope, this priceless inheritance that is waiting for us. It should motivate us to joy. It should also motivate us to want to live our lives in a way that pleases God, that honors God. And it should motivate us in the way we deal with one another. David spoke a couple of weeks on authority and how we are to submit to those in authority over us and how the relationship looks like in the familial arrangement and the the authority there. I mean, God honors that. And then Peter transitions, and we began last week looking at the the elephant in the room, if you will, for the first um, century Christians. They were experiencing some suffering because of their faith in Christ. And Peter now turns there, and he talks to them about having the same attitude, attitude, key word, that Christ had. That Christ had the attitude that he was willing to suffer because he knew what the outcome of that suffering would produce. Amen? He knew that it would bring about salvation to mankind. He knew that once it was through, he would be back at home in the presence of God. And we talked last week about how we need to have that same mentality that the worst thing in our minds that could happen to us is someone kill us because of our faith. And I would say that's the best thing that could happen to us in our life because we're immediately finished with sin, amen, and at home with the Lord. And so in that same vein, I want to talk for a few moments about the believer's view on suffering. The believer's view on suffering. And so think about for a moment worldview. This world that we live in is is outsiders in a strange land. They have a worldview that's made up of their ideas, how they're raised. Um, It serves as a lens through which the world is interpreted. And so they learn it through politics, through the families, and maybe even through the church, different beliefs that influence their perspective, their values, and their actions. Well, for us as followers of Christ, as outsiders, we look through a different lens, and we have what is called or should be a biblical worldview, right? Right? We should look at the world through the lens of God's holy scriptures. And so we're going to see things differently than other people. Are you with me so far? So let me ask you a question. How is your attitude? I have to confess that I don't always have a great attitude. I struggle with this. God rebukes me on this occasionally. I'm like, you know, I'm just, I've got a bad attitude about this situation. And we can have attitude issues when we have bad leadership. And I always say attitude reflects leadership. We have attitude issues when we um, succumb to the circumstances around us. And what you and I need to know as followers of Christ, that no one can control our attitude. While they may control everything else around us, they can't control how we respond to it. And that's a truth that we just need to know this morning, right? I got all day, folks. I'm already (laughs) sleepy. I stand up here until Jesus comes back. It'll be all right with me. But no, we, we can't control the circumstances around us. But we can control how we respond to it. And so there's this idea that we, as followers of Christ, looking through the lens of a biblical worldview, should view things differently than the world around us. So in the context of suffering, if I were to ask you, how many of you say, I would like a dose of suffering? Raise your hand. No. Right? We order our Christianity like we order our coffee, or like I ordered mine this morning. Give me an extra hot dose of grace and mercy and your love, God, but hold the suffering. Hold the trials. 
And, and, and what makes things worse is we listen to teachers, we read books that tell us, hey, you can have your best life right now. Right, And if you give your life to Christ, you'll never experience anything negative in life. And, and it may sound good, it may tickle the ears, it may make us feel good, but it is contradictory to God's word. Because God's word makes it absolutely clear that we as Christians will experience suffering. How's that for good news? Whew. So Peter is touching on this, and it begins in, let's just go ahead and read the passage, um, and, and then we'll break into it. So... Chapter 4, verse 12. Read with me. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely or scarcely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for your word, and we know that your word is power. And though we want to be changed, we want to be challenged from your word today, and you said that your word would go out and would accomplish what it was sent to do. Lord, it's not my responsibility. I'm just a vessel, and Lord, in my weakness, you're strong, and so I pray, Father, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to receive the truth from your word today. Help me to communicate it, Lord, in a way that is helpful and challenging in our faith, and I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Peter's writing this letter to Christians who are experiencing suffering. I would say they're not experiencing the same level of suffering that the Christians were experiencing in Rome because they're, they're removed from Rome um, and there's some intense persecution going on there. Uh, but Peter is concerned that it might spill over and so he's preparing them in advance for the suffering that may come their way. And, and so in this mind of attitude, what should the, the attitude or the view of suffering be for the follower of Christ? How should we view that? It really comes back to attitude, and the word attitude simply means a disposition, a feeling, or a position with regard to a person or a thing. Have you ever had an attitude towards a person or towards a thing? You feel about them a certain way. It's literally the way you think and feel about someone or something. I would say as outsiders living in a strange land, we should maintain a certain attitude when it comes to suffering. And Peter lays out for us four things for us to consider. Number one is as followers of Christ, we should expect suffering. Now, it doesn't sound very encouraging, and it's not something that I would hope for or want, but he says it's not a matter of if we experience suffering, but it's a matter of when. And so we should expect suffering. Look at what it says at the very beginning, verse 12. Dear friends, some of your translations will say beloved, and I love that. Agapitos is the Greek word, and it gives us a picture of this. This is a term 
of endearment, this love, this shepherdly love. And he's reminding them before he gets into this, hey, listen, you need to know that you're loved. You're dearly loved. You're beloved. And I think this is important because when we experience suffering, we usually respond with two different responses. Number one, we might say, God just must not love me. And that's why I'm experiencing suffering. And so to kind of combat that, he kind of provides a soft pillow to those that are experiencing the persecution. He says, beloved. I want you to remember first off that you are loved by God. Because you're experiencing persecution does not mean that God no longer loves you. Have you ever thought that when you're experiencing some hardships in life? Where's God when it hurts? Why is God allowing me to go through this? It must be because he doesn't love me. Let me remind you of Paul's words in Romans 8. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. He says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I love this. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing, say nothing, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So when we experience hardships and suffering, the first thing I believe that he wanted them to know and us to know today is we are beloved and we'll never be separated from the love of God. So never think, because you're going through a difficult time, God must not love me. He begins there and he says, okay, you need to expect suffering. Notice he says, dear friends or beloved, don't be surprised. The other response to suffering is, if you don't feel like, well, it's because God doesn't love me, it's usually like, shazam, I didn't think anything like this would happen to me as a Christian. I thought when I signed up, I was going to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, and I was going to have my best life now, and I was never going to experience any kind of hardships in life. Whoo, I did not see that coming. And some people have that response to suffering, and so he's simply telling them, hey, you need to expect suffering as a believer in Christ. And he's not the only one. You think, well, Peter, are you the only one that's saying this? No, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. James speaks of it. Paul speaks of it. There's this con continuous theme throughout the scripture that we as followers of Christ will experience suffering, persecution, not because of anything that we do, but who we believe in and who we rely on and trust in. Because we live in a world that's not our home and we're outsiders in a strange land. So we should expect suffering. So remind yourself that God loves you. And Jesus in John chapter 15 says, If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, this is Jesus talking, since they persecuted me naturally, they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would have listened to you. They will do all of this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. Jesus makes it clear. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when we face suffering. What is our attitude in that? 
He says, expect it. Now, I think there's a little bit more of a, uh, of a real sense of his warning to these Christians because in Rome, here's what's going on. This letter is written between 60, 65 A.D. Um, in the summer, I think it was July of 64 A.D., Rome burned. Right? And so Nero, as the emperor, comes on the scene, and he kind of had this grand idea that he wanted to refurbish Rome. And it was well known among everybody that he wanted to kind of do a remodeling project of Rome. So when a fire broke out, no one really knows what caused the fire. Um, it consumed many of the houses and everything that they had. And so it says that, you know, I think it was Tacitus or some of the other early writers were saying that he watched from one of the towers gleefully because it was going to give him the opportunity to rebuild Rome. Well, as the people that owned their homes began to try to put out the fires, it says the Roman soldiers prevented them from doing it, and even new fires were set. And so there was this huge fire in Rome that burned like nine days total. And as you could imagine, the people were ticked off at Nero. Nero wanted to remodel Rome, and so he must have caused all of this damage. And so Nero had to think quick. And like many politicians of our day today, he had to find a scapegoat. So what did he do? There was a group of people living in Rome that were already kind of hated and maligned among the people there, and they were called Christians. They were already looking at them, making fun of them, and the word Christian was a derogatory term. Uh, they were saying of these Christians, they, they consume real human flesh and drink real human blood in their Lord's Supper. Th these Christians, they have a holy kiss, and all that is just covered for unbridled lust. They're accusing Christians of not caring about the people around them. The very opposite of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, loving people and looking out for other people's needs. And they're accusing them of being selfish and hateful. And, and they're just going after it. Well, this is an amazing plot because the people take the bait and they immediately blame the Christians and begin an immense persecution of the first century Christians because of the burning of Rome. It says that um, Nero took these Christians and doused them in tar and lit them alive and used them as a human torch to light the pathways of the, the, the garden, the, the palace garden. He would sew them up. And this sounds like rated R here. I'm sorry. This is what our first brothers and sisters went through, sewn them up in the skin of animals and turned them out into an arena where other animals could attack them and kill them. They crucified them. They tortured the Christians. And so Peter, maybe seeing this happen in Rome, is warning ahead of time the other Christians that are scattered, saying, Hey, you need to expect. Don't be surprised, he says, at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. You should expect suffering. That doesn't get me personally, because I, I understand that. Scripture's pretty clear that we will experience some hardships. It's the next point or the next attitude. Um, that we should consider that he lays out that I struggle with, and I think probably you would as well. So not only to expect suffering, but we should rejoice in suffering. What? Peter, like, consider the source, right? Peter, aren't, isn't he the one that sliced off the dude's ear? I mean, like, quick to react. Isn't he the one that denied Jesus three times? So, Peter, mm, I don't know. Maybe there's someone else that talks about rejoicing in the midst of suffering. There is. Jesus said, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Paul in Romans 5 says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. 
For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthened, um, or strengthens our hope, our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So there's Jesus, there's Paul, even James gets in on this conversation. Chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Rejoice. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And so we have this continuity through Scripture that says the attitude of an outsider living in a strange land in the context of suffering should be one of rejoicing. That takes some special stuff right there, doesn't it? Because I know how I respond to suffering, and it's usually not rejoicing. A little murmuring, complaining, maybe a little whining. But Scripture tells us that we should rejoice in suffering. Why? Well, Jesus said there's a great inheritance that a reward that awaits those who are joyful in the midst of suffering. Paul says that we have this endurance that's developed in us and it develops the character and it strengthens our confident hope of salvation. There's the, the why from Paul's perspective. James says that when it's fully developed, we'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That's Jesus, Paul, and James. How about Peter? In this text, he says, instead be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests on you. Some of your versions will have this, some will not, depending on which manuscript they use to do the translation. But in the footnote, there's this additional uh, part of that verse 14. It says, on their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. And so Peter gives us three reasons to rejoice in persecution. Number one, it means even though we suffer now, there is glory in the future. It says we are partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy, wonderful joy. Joy. Can I just tell you that when Christ appears, I'm assuming for the follower of Christ, there will be a wonderful joy when we look into heaven and we see the one that made it all possible for us returning for us, right? It says, when he returns, we will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all of the world. And we will experience that glory. Even though we suffer now, there is a glory in the future the Bible says, eye is not seen, ears not heard, neither can enter the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. I can't tell you all the things that we should expect. But I'm just going to tell you it's going to be out of this world. It's going to blow your mind. It's amazing, right? So even though we suffer now, there's a glory in the future. Secondly, he said, suffering brings the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says, if you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you'll be blessed for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. Follower of Christ, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you? And if the Holy Spirit of God lives in you and me, his role is to provide comfort, right, conviction, peace. And can you imagine in the midst of suffering the ministry of the Holy Spirit in that moment? I think we get a glimpse of it when we look at the first martyr, Stephen. When Stephen is stoned with rocks, 
stoned to death as they're pelting him with rocks. It says he looks up and, and there's just this, I, I'm assuming there's this huge glow on his face and he sees heaven open and he says, I see the glory of God and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. It ticked them off even more and they, they just continue to pelt him and as he's about to die, he says, don't hold them guilty for this sin or don't, don't hold them accountable for that. There's something special about that. I believe in that moment, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the midst of suffering. If you've ever seen somebody go through a very difficult season and they just simply have this peace that is unexplainable, Paul says it's a peace that passes all understanding. I believe that is the role of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we can rejoice in our trials because we're not doing it alone. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit accompanying us through suffering. Amen? you imagine going through it without? Mm. Thirdly, suffering for righteousness enables us to glorify God. I mean, I think all of our goals should be, I want to bring glory to God. And when we experience suffering, in that little footnote, he says, on their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. When we experience suffering, persecution, it brings glory to God. So our attitude, I would say, towards suffering, this having joy or rejoicing in the midst of suffering, it's, it's what blows my mind. It is, it's difficult for me to wrap my mind around because it's not normal for us, right, in our human nature. But we don't look at this world through a, a worldview. We look at it through the lens of the Bible, a biblical worldview, and we know that one day our light and momentary trials will feel like nothing compared to the glory of God when we are with him in heaven, Right? And so our attitudes, and I believe this wholeheartedly, our attitudes are an outward display of what's going on in our hearts. So what do we believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we hanging on to this living hope that he speaks of in chapter 1? Do we truly believe that one day to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord? That one day we will be finished, done with sin once and for all? I think if we put our focus there and our attitude there, it enables us to say when we experience suffering, when we experience persecution, to say, you know what? Glory to his name. You remember when the, the, the disciples or the apostles in Acts were, were beaten because uh, they were telling the good news, right? And they were released. Don't you talk about God anymore? And they went back and, and they were celebrating that they were worthy to suffer like Christ suffered. Or when Paul and Silas, I always love this story in prison, right? They were beaten for preaching the gospel. They're in prison, and it says at midnight. What do they start doing? They started singing that song from Hee Haw, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Whoa, right? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, right? No, it says they begin praising God. They begin praising the name of God. They're beaten for the cause of Christ, yet Worship was in their hearts and their souls, and it says the, the prisoners heard them. I think I like that part there. The prisoners heard them praising God, and, you know, the prison walls shook, and they, the jailer comes in thinking they'd escaped. He says, hey, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here, and that jailer was changed, transformed because of the power of God. There's a few examples of it modeled for us that you can rejoice in the midst of suffering. And so I believe our attitudes are an outward display of what's taking place in our hearts. Do we truly believe the gospel? Do we truly believe greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world? That no matter what we encounter in life, nothing can ever take away the love of God. Do we truly believe that? 
I think if we do and we focus on that, then our attitude can rejoice even in the midst of suffering. So that's number two. We should expect it. We should rejoice in it. Thirdly, we should, and I think this is important, we should examine ourselves in the midst of suffering. We should examine ourselves. Listen to this. He says, if you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, for stealing. These are pretty extreme sins, right? When we get punished by law for doing those things. He says, if you suffer, it must not be for those reasons, for murder or stealing. Okay, that's check, check. We're good there. But how about making trouble or evil doing? Just a general sin. If you suffer for a general sin or just doing uh, or making trouble, he says, don't suffer for that reason. And here's one that hits us in the church. He says, or prying into other people's affairs. Not guilty of that one, are we? The busybody, someone who just don't know how to mind their own business, is that if you're suffering because you stuck your nose where it doesn't belong, you know, this ministry of the Holy Spirit in the midst of that, I don't think he's going to bless that. That's just called stupid tax. We write it off and we're like, don't do that again, right? That's my interpretation of it anyways. So he says, if you suffer, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs, but it is no shame. Say no shame. Listen, it is no shame to suffer for being a, and I put in my Bible in quotes, Christian. Because in their day and age, the word Christian was not a term of endearment. It was just like, it was a slang, like you little Christians following your Christ and acting like him. It was not a good thing to be called a Christian. And Peter here saying, if you're suffering, it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. And so when we experience suffering, pushback, persecution, because we truly believe God is who he said he was, and we live our lives in, in, in just harmony with his word and his commands, and we suffer as a result of that, he says, number one, you're blessed. And he says, there's no shame in living for Christ. Why? I believe because one day it'll all be settled. Amen? So examine our life to make sure it's not for doing the wrong, but make sure it's because we are Christians. Now, let's look at this verse 17. It says, For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with, the, with God's household. Wait up. Judgment beginning with God's household. When I think of judgment, we used to think of this harsh judgment, but I want you to think of discipline. I want you to think about a loving father who loves his children when they step out of line. Have you ever received a spanking from your parents? I did, and I did not like them at the time. But I know that they provided for me boundaries, they showed me, hey, that's not going to fly in that house, and there's a certain way I expect you to live, and if you live within those boundaries, you're not going to get the spanking, but sometimes the spankings are there to kind of correct us, to correct bad behavior, to change a bad attitude, amen. Sometimes God uses judgment, trials, persecution as a way of cleaning us up, and how many of you know the church needs a little cleaning up? Especially the closer we get to the return of Christ, I see him purifying the bride and getting us ready, ready for his return. And so he says if judgment begins, it begins with the house of God first. This is not a condemnation judgment. Like, okay, hey, you guys are going to hell again. No, no, the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's signed, sealed, and delivered. If you place your faith in Christ, you're there. Amen? But that fellowship can be affected, and we can be judged, and we can experience suffering as a result of that. He says judgment begins with us. Listen, if judgment begins with the house of God, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, with great difficulty, 
If the righteous are saved in that way, what will happen to godless sinners? And so just think for a minute. We have this idea of suffering or no suffering. I would rather have no suffering. But if it's going to happen to us, would I rather have a suffering that ends with knowing that one day I'll be in the presence of God and all this will feel like nothing compared to that in all eternity? light and momentary trial, or to stand before him in the great white throne judgment and receive the judgment that will send me for all eternity into a place called hell, separated from hell. Sign me up for the suffering and persecution for his name. Amen? I'd rather suffer for him now and work on this attitude and joy and rejoicing in the midst of suffering than to be on the wrong side of the gospel. That's why you hear me say all the time, and I never get tired of saying it, the most important thing that you and I can do in this life is to place our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as followers of Christ, we should expect suffering. We should rejoice in that suffering. And we should examine ourselves to make sure it's not for the wrong things, but it is for being a follower of Christ, doing Christ-like things. He said, if you do that, you're blessed. Great is your reward in heaven. You're growing. He's, he's using it to, to prune you or to, to purify you and present you to himself as a bride, clean. And so we should examine our lives. Have you ever asked the question, hey, God, why am I going through this? Why am I? I think that's a good question. God, why is this happening to me? Not to say, God, do you love me? We already settled that. God loves us. Nothing will separate that love, right? Not to be surprised that it was like, hey, look, you said that we're going to have troubles, Lord. Is there a reason for the suffering that I'm encountering right now? Is it because of something I've done? Or is it simply because I'm trusting in you and the people on the outside looking at me and they don't like it? Much like Rome turns on the Christians and begin a heavy, intense persecution. Examine your life in suffering. Make sure it's for the right reasons. And I would say lastly, fourthly, is commit to God in the suffering. Look at verse 19. So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, that is, you're living for him, you're trusting in him, and your life is dictated by his scripture, and, and it just is not palatable to the world that we live in, and you're suffering as a result of it. He says, if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. Commit. It's like a banker term, like where you're giving it to them for safe deposit, safekeeping. He says, commit to doing what? Good works. You know what that means for me? Keep on keeping on. When the going gets tough, we keep on doing what he's called us to do. Again, because one day we will stand before him. And if we placed our faith in Christ, then we know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? And I don't know about you, but I look forward to hearing one day, hey, good job. Well done. You handled some intense persecution. I watched you. I saw how you handled that. And man, what a great, you brought me glory by your response, your actions, your joy in the midst of that. Can you imagine standing before him? And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. So we commit ourselves to doing what is right, and we trust our lives to God or to the God who created you. He's our creator. He's also our sustainer. And he ends with this, for he will never, say never, he'll never fail you. He'll never forsake you. He will never uh, uh, fail you. I like this because it's like bookends. At the beginning of verse 12, we have this beloved agapitos, this term of endearment, like he loves you. Don't ever doubt God's love for you when you're going through difficult situations. And he finishes it with this, he'll never fail you. God is faithful. 
He's faithful to complete everything that he promised to us. You know what? There is a living hope. There is a priceless inheritance that is set up for heaven, for us in heaven. God is not lying about that. You can trust him. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He's with us, with us in the fire. Amen? No matter where we go, what we experience in life, I'm highly encouraged to know that he'll never fail me. He'll accomplish everything that he intended to accomplish for our lives. And we know that it's not over yet. This world is just a temporary place. We are outsiders living in a strange land. And so we need to recognize that our attitude to what's going on around us is a choice. I can choose to respond like the world responds, who has no hope. Or I can choose to respond in a very bold and brave way and say, you know what? My hope is not in this world. It's out of this world. And I'll put a smile on my face because I know the end of the story and we win. Saw a guy last night, walked to Emmaus, candlelight service, and I was kind of dealing with me in my heart. I was struggling, just kind of, I wasn't feeling it. I was, it was like, God, just work in me. Rejuvenate that, that, that joy and that love for you. And I, I look across the room and I see a, another friend. And if I say his name, you probably would know him. Uh, but he's got this big smile on his face. And every time I see him, that's what I see. And I know that he's had some medical issues. I know he's gone through some difficult things in his life. But I always see joy. And I thought, yeah, that's what I want to be. That when people see me, no matter what I'm going through, they see a countenance in my face. They see a joy in my heart that tells them that boy is not natural. He belongs to something different, right? And hopefully it would be infectious for other people. And they say, I want what he's or what she's got. And so we should commit to him to continue doing good. I want to finish with Paul's Second Thessalonians, this little passage here and, and I want to offer it in a form of a prayer today but just listen I'm going to be honest with you this topic today I was kind of wrestling with like I'm tired of talking about suffering I'm suffering talking about suffering I'm done right I want to talk about puppy dogs and roses and football or something but the reality is, is we're going through the scriptures and we're, we're, we're heeding what scriptures tell us and our first century Christians went through it so much worse than what we ever went and I think we can glean some things from what he gave to them amen and so in that, I'll close with this. Our attitude is a choice. And knowing whatever circumstances we face, they do not have the power to dictate what our attitude is unless we let them. And so you have control of that. Paul says in Second Thessalonians, So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of the call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live. And you'll be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray today for us, asking you, God, to enable each one of us to live a life that's worthy of the calling. That you would enable us to take your scripture and not just know it, but to apply it in our lives and to live in a way that would bring honor and glory to you. Would you please give us power to accomplish all the good things that our faith prompts us to do? As you motivate us to do things in faith, would you give us the power to follow through on those things? Lord, we know that when we do that, you are honored because of the way we live. And we know that we'll also share in that honor. And so, Lord, we admit that it's nothing in our own strength, but it is all because of the gospel. It is all because of the finished work of Jesus on the Christ. It is all made possible by our God and our Lord, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that.
We ask that you would motivate us, encourage us, and for those that may be going through some intense suffering right now, God, help them to see, Lord, you in the midst of that battle or that difficulty. Lord, would they see you and your love there, knowing that nothing will ever separate you from them, your love from them. And help them also to see that you are faithful. There is a purpose, there's a plan in what we're experiencing in life. God, would you give them the strength to keep on keeping on, committed to doing good works, bringing honor and glory to you. Lord, it's suffering now, but great glory in the future. May we all have that attitude and let it motivate us to push forward no matter what we may encounter. Lord, and I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.